Hi, we're the Hypno Love Wheel. You're listening to WCBN FM and Auburn. You're listening to the Living Writers Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today uh, we're we're lucky uh, to have Charlie D'Ambrosio on the line. Hi, hi, Charlie. Hello, T. Thank you for having me. Thank. You. I wish I wish you um, I wish you could be that you were here in person, but this is uh, the next best thing. Yeah. Well, you, you're probably lucky today. You know, I was uh, a friend of mine's uh, art studio burned down over the weekend. Uh, oh no! And he, it was also his living space. And actually, I was over there this morning. We're having a big work party, and I smell like uh, you know that really like uh, that very distinct smell like burning wood and then soaking wet wood. You know. Oh uh, no! How is how is your friend doing? Is it because you said that in the email? Actually, you said it. You might smell of the fire retardant and um, be feeling a little. Uh, uh, loopy from that too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if the fire retardant actually smells like anything. Uh, oh. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's got to be. You know, obviously, it's a chemical, and we're wearing uh, you know latex gloves and you know uh, masks and, and and the whole thing. Uh, oh man. Um, I hope the, friend, the friends fine. They they you know and the cats didn't survive. Uh, but uh, oh, no. but but they they got out. Uh, it's just that you know he's a painter and. It was his studio, and he had a lot of stuff stored there. And uh, if it didn't get burned, it got just soaked. Uh, oh, um, that, so. oh, that's oh, that's so oh, that's so. I'm so sorry for your your friend. Um, uh, yeah, it, 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 it was. You know, it's. I mean, it's. It, it's it, anyway, it's 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 tough. But there are all these kind of. You know, it's. It, I feel like I'm doing a really Portland thing. It's just packed with artists. You know, over there uh, working. <laughs> Oh, you know. right. Cause, cool, well, because you're speaking to us from Portland, Oregon right Portland, now. Oregon. I guess I guess we can. Um, and what, what neighborhood are you in, Charlie, over there? Um, I live in the uh, northeast, and, and uh, I'm sorry to say, I, I, and I own a house here, and, and uh, I'm sorry to say I don't even know the name of the neighborhood. I guess it's because I'm childless, and I don't have any children to send to school <laughs> care where I live that much, you know, exactly. uh, but, you, but, but anyway, Northeast, North uh, Portland's a small place. So, uh, uh you know, I'm in, in town, I'm in town. Oh, that's great. And I, well, are like my condolences to your friend too, um, and for the, for his cats and in his work. And, um, but, um, well, well, um, Charlie, usually how we do this is I, I'm just going to read your short bio that's um in your book the dead fish museum that was just uh put out this this april um april 2007 from the um the vintage contemporaries yeah. uh editions yeah that's fine i'm sure it's a very short bio i keep you know you get asked to write your bio a lot and i keep trying to like uh uh eliminate things from it uh, oh, so is this actually what uh, you wrote for it? It's not somebody say, else. Well, can't you say a little bit more? You know, and, and actually, you know, good things have happened to me. I could actually be adding to it, but uh, but I keep trying to uh, edit it down to like some sort of like a haiku. That's that is awesome. Okay, let me read the haiku that you've you've written here for us then in the Dead Fish Museum. Um, Charles D'Ambrosio is the author of The Point and Orphans, a collection of essays. His fiction has appeared in the New Yorker, the Paris Review. Zotrope, All Story, and A Public Space, among other honors. He is a re- recent recipient of a Whiting Writers Award. So yeah. did, did you pen that? What do you want to add to That's that right true. now, Charlie? <laughs> what? I think. Um, you know, I, I think I did do that one. 
Uh, you know, well, you want, you want to acknowledge you know, the you know the Whiting Award. Uh, I, you know, uh, I know the book got a uh, it was a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award. Uh, so you're just know. you're awash in awards. And, but, yeah, 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 it did get a lot of, uh, it, it did fine. <laughs> how did, how did, yeah. Better than it should have. <laughs> no. No, I don't know. Um, well, you're going to be coming to Ann Arbor soon, Charlie, yes. right? In, in October, in early October. Um, and maybe I'll just make that announcement now. So everybody knows on Thursday, October 11th, um, you'll be reading, Charlie D'Ambrosio will be, be reading um, for the fourth annual Janie Lack reading. It's free and open to the public at five o'clock at the Rackham Amphitheater, um, and that's at nine fifteen East Washington. Um, Charlie, it's a green room. How do you feel about green? Green? Uh, you know, I, 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 I've been told that it's supposed to be uh, uh, that they paint like mental hospitals uh, green. It's supposed to be soothing. I mean, is it like pale green or it's sort like of a pale green? Forest green? Or? And the seats are forest green, I believe. So if you could yeah. wear green too, that might be really interesting. Yeah, I, I like. Well, yeah, I a little. I like, I like green. A little fashion tip, but um, well, that's good. That's that's good. Um, we could add that. I like green. That could be part of the yeah. haiku in the <laughs> in the bio. Um, so I also thought. Well, we've we've mentioned the whiting, and that was was that um, was that sort of a high point of this this last this last year, was it or? Yeah, you know that you know, I, that uh, you know I, I, the Penn Faulkner was a big deal to me. Uh, I Why got to that? meet uh, Philip Roth. You know, who was like a hero uh, mm-hmm. of mine. Um, who won the? Uh, who ended up winning the uh, award? But uh, uh, it, it was it was it was kind of an honor to lose to Philip Roth. Right. Um, I, I think everybody has. Uh, <laughs> but um, in one uh, sense, that, it, it was a high point. I was actually teaching in Montana when they called, and uh, it was uh, the uh, the head of the Whiting Foundation called, and he has this kind of. To what to me sounded very patrician, kind of upper crust English accent, Ooh. and it was early in the morning, and I just thought, I thought it was a friend, you know, <laughs> putting you on, pulling something on me. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, uh, so it, it was very nice. Uh, <laughs> but my first reaction is always disbelief. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, I guess maybe in a way you've got to start. Um, maybe that will start falling away. Um, yeah. because, I mean, <laughs> but anyway, well, now everyone knows that they can prank call you with um, mm-hmm. hints of awards, lottery winnings, for example. I have always been a sucker for the prank call. <laughs> you know, I'm very, I'm sincere and gullible. It's a terrible thing. Oh, no. You know? a, a quiet, inward fellow. Yeah. <laughs> so um, since we've talked about the waiting, let's also talk about the Canterbury. How's that for a segue? <laughs> right? Okay. Um, uh, the Canterbury is not an award, right? But it does right. have a distinction in your life. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I haven't been there probably since you know we were there, and then prior to that, I, I had not been there since I was I, I was a busboy and was as fired uh, from the place. <laughs> Can you tell us that story? Is that is that like a, a writer's story? <laughs> I you know I you know I don't know if it, it, it's much of a writer's story and it's it's you know it couldn't have been more it's not like I'm I'm still seething or I, I was ever in shock I, I deserved to be fired I didn't really like the job I mean you know I, I was a busboy I'm not a waiter not a bartender and it was it was kind of a busy place and but uh, you know and known for their. Jojos. People would come in and they would just order Jojos. What's you know? that? I actually French don't fries, even. You know, oh, the huge French fries. Oh, oh. French fries like slat. They were like pieces of two by four, that big. You know, <laughs> uh, but but that makes for like a certain kind of customer. Yes. That, <laughs> it wasn't like oh, you know, people are coming in and it's relaxed and this is a big night on the town. This is like they, they're like trashed and, and, and anyway, it was an extremely busy night. Some other busboy didn't show up. I was the only one there, and the woman who managed the place told warned me once. I was so busy, I was just like scrambling around. Warned me not to pick up the glasses by you know how you kind of make a prong out of your fingers oh, yeah. and pick up like four glasses by sticking your hands down in them? Yes, I'm now doing that in the studio. Yes, I do know what you mean. Yes, Exactly. <laughs> well, when you're working in a restaurant, you don't do that because you're just grabbing germs from one set of glasses and then grabbing some more and you're just putting germs on your hand and eventually you're just kind of moving those germs around the restaurant.
restaurant. And, I, you know, she's right. She was right. But I was busy, and I, and I, and I was just, you know, I didn't care. And, and uh, she saw me do it again, and she scolded me, you know, and, and, and told, you know, told me I was fired. You know, really? Right, right there. And that, and so, this so is, and I didn't care. I was living across the street from the Canterbury in this place that I, I called the shoe box because everybody else called it the shoe box. It, it, it was only, it was a room that was not attached. It was, it was, a, it was actually built and attached to a house, but it had no, uh, you know, kind of inner passageway. So it was just this box on the side of a house. With, I had a door and I had a bathroom. That was it. And I had no telephone. And I used to use the uh, telephone in the parking lot of the restaurant. So I, I, I lived there for the six months I lived there. I, you know, I kept my window open all and, the time. And this and is people in, would call the phone booth. And this is Seattle, uh, right? This is Capitol yeah. Hill, Seattle. Charlie, what year? Yeah. What, when, when was this? Like, what year about? Ooh, man, this, uh, late 80s, I guess. Okay, gotcha. Some, yes, yeah. Uh, mid-80s, mid-80s. Um, and uh, uh, so, yeah, and the phone would ring, and I'd go, you know, no matter what, I'd be in, in my room just moping or reading a book or something, and I'd you know, run, run out to the parking lot and, you know, grab the phone. Anyway, was that, it was, ever... that was my life there. And then I got oh. fired from the Canterbury. Was it ever not for you? What's that? Was the, was, the, um, was the phone never not, like, you ran out there and it wasn't for you? No, it was almost always for me. Sometimes oh. other people would grab it, and I'd say, well, you know, that's for me. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, what are you doing answering my phone? <laughs> I think that's great. Well, thanks, yeah. thanks for uh, giving us the Canterbury story. That yeah, was, um, that, that's, you know, it's not high drama, but it, it's one of, you know, you know I don't know. You, you, you know, well, you walk into you, that place, and there's a suit of armor as soon as you walk in, right? So yeah, it's kind of an odd yeah, place. Yeah, it's like an English, you know, you know, English, I don't know, manor or something. I, I don't know. It's got those heavy you know, beams and sort of Tudorish, you know. It's been there forever. I mean, in a city that's changed so radically where you can't, you know, find anything that, you know, existed like 10 years ago. Uh, you can count uh, on and that. And all, you know, kind of your cherished memories have been wiped out and replaced by... Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, right, the latest replaced. Uh, uh The Canary Berry is sticking it out. They're slugging it out. They are. Yeah. And you can take dogs in there, too. Yeah, mostly because, probably because they're business, business acumen. They, they fire people like me. Uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. No, that was the competition. That was not a wise choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's good you don't you bear them no grudges. And that you were no, you, I don't. you were you were born in you were born in Seattle, right, Charlie? Yeah. Is that and um and when did you when did you first leave? Like how how old were you when you? Because those were your your formative years. Yeah. Um, I guess the first time I left is I, uh, you know, like everybody, uh, I got out of uh, uh, high school and uh, we, we just all went to the University of Washington. I mean, if you were going to go to college and, and you were from Seattle, you just went to the University of Washington. And uh, so that's what I did. And uh, I hated it. Uh, and not because, you know, it's a hateful place, but because it, I, I was so shy. Uh, I couldn't, I could, I just, I was drowning. I, the classes were huge. Yeah. It was probably like the University of Michigan. I mean, I just didn't have the, the social and, uh, y- y- you know, Know, equipment to, 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 to deal with it. Uh, so I, I dropped out. And then eventually uh, I transferred, I, I reapplied, you know, I, uh, or I, I applied elsewhere and I, I went to Oberlin College okay. in Ohio. Yeah. Which, um, uh, you know, I thought I, it was very exciting to me because I thought I was going to the, uh, to the, um, to the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the Eastern Seaboard, you know. Still I, mean, a bit I, 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 I mean, I understood that it wasn't on the ocean, but I thought it was the East. I thought it was the East. Right. Um, <laughs> well, relatively speaking, for it you, was it, as far east as I'd ever been. Right. And 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 I, but I really thought, you know, I, geographically, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm from like the, you know, the way way, you know, corner of, uh, and and hadn't been. I, I wasn't traveled. I wasn't, you know, very experienced. And I just thought. Uh, uh, again, it was easy, and then of course I, I met all these people that were from New York, who, you know, found themselves in Ohio, and just really quickly disabused me of that idea. Right, but, right, and then and did it go well at Oberlin? Then that was that was. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, it's a you know, it was a small school, and and classes were small, and you know, it's re- uh, you, you teach know, it really. I, I, I didn't. I was still very shy. In fact, I, I, I didn't really, you know, say anything out loud in a class until I was a, a junior. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and that only because, like, you know, one of my teachers just said, "Look, you know, you, you, you have to talk in this class. You, you have to talk." And you, you, 
in fact, I want you to write three. I want you to write things down to say. If you if you can't just make yourself, then I want you to read them off a card. And, uh, yeah, that's a good thing to do, though, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it eventually worked, you know, because I, I, you know, I mean, I was such a dork. I, I, I would, I would read. Uh, I hope I can say that. Uh, um, uh, um, it's not a swear I would, word. I worked on my papers like crazy. I got, you know, you know, great grades like that. I just loved doing them, but I couldn't make myself speak. So finally, she, she just said, you know, she took me aside after class and said, you know, you're gonna have to write something down, and I want you to say it. You got to. So I'd write these things down on a three by five card. And just nearly tear it to shreds watching the clock, you know. <laughs> Knowing uh, you would have uh, to speak some at some point, right? Hoping to just jack in some kind of, con- you know, comment that was like semi-relevant to what was going on. And, you know, I, you know, I don't know, I eventually blurted out some ridiculous thing about Moby Dick, you know, which, I, you know, I, I don't know. We'd, we'd finished reading two weeks earlier. <laughs> but, but I finally got the hang of, like... You know, saying things out loud. Uh. That's all it takes. Well, 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 Charlie, we're gonna take a short break, and we'll just we'll be gone for you know a few seconds. Listen to some music, and we'll be right back with the Living Writers Show and Charles D'Ambrosio. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in uh, today on the Living Writers Show, uh, I'm lucky to be talking with Charlie D'Ambrosio. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, so, so Charlie, now your your stories are anthologized, like in the Janet Burroway book, right? The point is in there for the. Mm-hmm. So, so now, so now, um, students all over the nation are trying to figure out <laughs> well, things to say about your story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and resenting it. <laughs> no, I'm, teach, I'm teaching this semester, at, at, uh, uh, you know, here in Portland, and uh, you know, I, and I'm teaching undergraduates for the first time in ages. How, how's that? Uh, that's at Reed, right, Charlie? Reed College? Yeah, at Reed. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a school I, another school I, conti- uh, I considered going to, but it was too close to home, and I, I'm already kind of a mama's boy, so um, I decided to go further away. But uh, but anyway, it's fun to be there. But I. I, I it's it's making me you know kind of remember what it was like to be discovering reading and 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 you know there's some everybody passes through the bad English teacher in high school that just insists you know on you know reading some kind of you know great thing that just is is, is you know dreadful to you at the time uh, right uh, and uh, you know some kind of wrestling with that you know it's well it's not a punitive exercise you don't have to read this stuff we're here because we love doing this and if if we don't then let's move on yes uh, you know, but yeah that's and and um and you're what you're what are you teaching i am teaching a, a creative non-fiction writing class which you know uh it's interesting. I've I've never been in one, and uh, uh, I don't really know what it is. And and uh, and and you know, sometimes you don't know how to teach a thing unless you've actually been in a class. And you you don't necessarily learn how to write, but you learn how to teach writing. I don't and I don't know what that says about you know the state of things. But right, uh, right. Well, because you're deconstructing, you're you're kind of deconstructing what you you've done naturally. Then, because you're an essayist as well. Right. Um. So, right, so it must be sort of one of those things where you're probably discovering what it is that you're you're doing as you're trying to deconstruct it to tell, give them some insights. 
I hope so. I have no idea. You know, you, you kind of wish that you could distill everything down to some really kind of keen, you know, trenchant, just some nuggets. Uh, but I can't. So I, maybe I'm just sharing my confusion, you know, because when I'm writing, I very often feel confused. And, and so I, I walk into class and say, well, God, you know, this is really confusing. Uh, and that's my message every week. You know, it's <laughs> right. difficult. I, I, you know, if, it might feel like you're just struggling and fl- floundering and flopping around on the surface. And, you know, that's actually, well, that, that's writing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're doing, you know, you're doing something right when you're, you're flailing. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, that's not. You know, actually, that's not such a bad. Uh, you know, uh, thing to learn that if it it feels hard, if it feels, uh, you, you know, like it's resisting you, then you're on the. Then you know you're on the right track. Uh, you know. It's true, uh, but, and, the, but and it's, it's nice to get that kind of confirmation because I, you know, you could say, well, this is so resisting me that maybe I'm uh, I'm not cut out to do this, or maybe it. It, it's it's it, it's not coming you know easily to me, and it must come easily to someone who's supposed to be a writer. And in fact, it doesn't. Exactly. Um, yeah, so. and 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 you have to be uncomfortable. Like if you're not yeah. having that element of discomfort. Yeah, yeah. I think that is you're you're blowing away the mythology now. Yeah, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. The and and uh, uh, it's one thing to do it, uh, you know, uh, you know, here on the radio, but it's another thing to walk into class every week and uh, say, well, you know, there's no magic. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, because they're used to, because so, some of my students right now are actually reading um, uh, your Degrees of Grey from, mm. from Hugo's poem, um, Degrees of Grey in Phillipsburg, right? And, uh, and so it's interesting because when you look at that, then that's such a constructed um, essay. But you're yes. saying that what, it took yes. a while to get and, that And, you know, it's interesting there. because, they, they, I mean, that, that essay, in fact, was very uh, constructed, and it began, some of the ideas began as a talk that I gave. It was not written first, so I had this outline, uh, and I couldn't stay inside the outline, partly because that becomes paint by numbers. It just, it, 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 it didn't interest me that way, uh, but, but the ideas um, and, 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 and the atmosphere um, uh, uh, remain, uh, and, and, and some of the quoting I did, uh, but, uh, Cause, cause uh how did you... you know, I ended up having to kind of write it, uh, uh, from the get-go, but it was very difficult for me to write. I, I probably because I'm not much of a thinker. It doesn't <laughs> I seem don't like have that. good ideas. No. Uh, and, and it was kind of idea heavy. Uh, oh, it's chock um, full. It really is. I mean, that's, and it, was it something when you were giving the talk, was it, um, was it because you wanted to talk about um, f- your experience with Phillipsburg or was it something that came after September 11th or was it, is that something that became, cause I know every, we're speaking kind of abstractly for people listening perhaps, but uh, um it, what came first then? What was the... You know, it was after 9-11, and I had, uh, there's uh, uh, an image printed with the essay. I had that image. The falling um, man from the building. And I, I was doing a lot, and, and it, I was letting someone, uh, you know, I got in, right after 9-11, I got into this habit, and it's a habit I have, but I, I became, so, you know, sort of more aware of it, is, you know, whenever I was reading something or watching the news, I, I would write down... Um, you know, what people were saying, particularly, uh, uh, you know, snippets of dialogue. Uh, and, uh, and then I started pinning those all to this board. And then I, I was reading a lot of, uh, um, you know, Milos and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Brodsky and, and, and as just part of my reading. And, and that started to resonate. And then I, I was keeping notes on that and typing things. And put, so suddenly I had this bulletin board that had, uh, you know, the beginnings of some, you know, a bunch of stuff that kind of related, to, uh, yes. it res- that was resonant to me. And yet I was in Phillipsburg, Montana, in what I considered the middle of nowhere um uh and you know the talk became partly about uh uh phillipsburg and uh partly about some of these ideas and then the essay is the attempt to kind of really articulate uh those and 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 this whole other strain which is why i was in phillipsburg and uh look at it through why um, were you in phillipsburg Yes, Phillipsburg and 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 the Richard Hugo poem, the great Richard Hugo well, poem. But, but why Ray. did you why did you go there, Charlie? Well, 
<laughs> a lot of reasons, but but the but the reason I ended up really in Phillipsburg is is because of, because of that poem. Richard Hugo is uh, originally from Seattle. He taught for a long time in uh, uh, the University of Montana, and he's kind of if you're going to be at all literary, uh, certainly uh, you know among you know people that I know, you, you, you know it's like well, Seattle is a much changed place now. But the heroes that you would have would be. Jimi Hendrix, because Hendrix was from Seattle, yes. and then if you if you read it all, you you loved Richard Hugo. Uh, those, those were your two options. Um, <laughs> people, I guess, have we have baseball teams now and stuff like that. But uh, and now there's uh, Kurt so Cobain. And, on. But yeah. uh, but I was uh, I had read that poem. I loved that poem so much. Uh, and I I. I would go through Phillipsburg anytime I was going fishing in Montana or going to Yellowstone or, uh, you know, uh, uh, and you thought you should move so I, there. I knew the town and, and anyway, I ended up there because I wanted to stop teaching. I was teaching at the university of Washington. And I thought I got to get out of here because I, my life is just like, it stinks. I hate it. Uh, mm-hmm. and where could I go and just, you know, live really cheaply. And so I went to like this ruined town and had a, play, a house for $300 a month. And, you know, <laughs> That was a big risk, right? To go to, because even in the in the poem, that's what it's about, being yeah. ruined. It wasn't yeah, like... Yeah, no, it totally paralleled, you know, and I guess it was a big risk, but it would be a big <laughs> risk for someone who had a, a, a worthwhile life, but my my life felt like so, like, you know, of, of, of little account at that point that, uh, you know... Uh, it, it yeah, but some some people go to San Francisco. <laughs> Charlie, some people go to San Francisco, and, and, and you went to Phillipsburg. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it was. You know, it turns out it, it, it was a good move. I developed an idea that uh, of uh, I kind of regained an idea of of writing and and of um, being a working writer. And uh, what does that from mean? From that moment on. I, I mean, I, I've you know I've you know published two books and 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 really thought of myself as like somebody who was earning his living writing, not being a teacher, not you know, uh, you know, it, it just kind of jump started me in some weird way. I I I, I, I took the work as uh, seriously as a kind of work. Um, yes, and risked like put put yeah. put the time aside and 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 took the risk by the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. And then. Mm-hmm. Um, what, where did you give the talk? Where was it commissioned? So some you had a project to work towards. Yeah. It, well, it was. Um, it was. I had done two talks uh, at uh, at Hugo House in uh, uh, Seattle, and I this wonder. this was uh, the second one. Uh, um, uh, and then and then you were approached by Clearcut Press to 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 form it to shape it further into an essay that they would they would print. Is that true? And, and then Clearcut was doing an anthology uh, of um, uh, essays uh, about a ver- you know they were, they were kind of all over the map uh, called uh, I believe it was called uh, the Clearcut Future. Yeah, the, uh, I've got it here. Yeah, the Clearcut Future. And uh, so I so I wrote the draft uh, initially for that uh, uh, for that anthology. And all the um, Charlie, all the writers in this, because because they're they're what could be called a regional press, right? Right. That's um, so. Do you feel like your your stories mostly are, are also set in the Northwest yeah. or in in the West somehow? Is that something that's um, intentional, or you think that you're you're this will you'll always inhabit that in some way, or what? Um, what do you think about place as as being part of who you are as a writer? Yeah, I, you know, I, to me, it's 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 inevitable. It's in this. It's it's as uh, inescapable probably as gender. Uh, th- that's how strongly I feel it. I can't really articulate it. And, and again, I'm not a thinker or a theorist, uh, or or perhaps you know about this. I don't really like to you know kind of dwell too much on it. I accept it. Uh, uh, I've always read Western writers, uh, um, uh, you know, those issues and themes are, uh, resonant to me and they're my burden and obligation. And they're also, you know, they liberate me, you know? Uh, so it's just, it's just the way I go. 
I resist, you know, <laughs> that whole clear cut thing was uh, a little bit because I, I did not want that book uh, to be uh, just stuck uh, in a, a small regional press. I had a, actually a contract with Knopf for that essay collection. For orphans. And so I have a somewhat amb- uh, mixed feeling about that kind of regional uh, thing. There's something about the Northwest that is that, uh, in Seattle and in Portland that, that, that kind of bugs me about the arts community. And I, I, I feel like I got sucked into that a little bit. Uh, when will that be released? Because isn't, isn't there like a, a period of time where then orphans would be be released and then Knopf would be able to to publish it if they had all you know well the, yeah I mean the problem is and it's it's somewhat embarrassing to me is that I, you know, I never had a contract with clearcut I had a contract for that book it was a two book uh, deal with Knopf so and they, and they they kind of gave me permission to do the clearcut book which I thought was going to just go to subscribers. It didn't quite work out that way. Uh, we've since kind of worked out a deal so that when I finish uh, the novel, they're going to, they're going to, Vintage is going to go ahead and, and uh, do Orphans that way. Oh, and release uh, it around the same time. Oh, that's great then. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's uh, more or less happy uh, resolution. And, and you're working on a novel right now. That's the yes. current project? Yes. Oh, well, let's take a short break and then we'll come back and um, maybe you'll read something for us, Charlie, and we'll hear maybe a little bit of what you want to tell us about the current project. Okay. Okay. We'll be right back. Well, it would have been, could have been worse than you would ever know. Welcome back. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today I'm talking with Charlie D'Ambrosio. Um, Charlie. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so your current project is the novel. Is it, um, is, it, is it far enough along where you can talk about it, or is it... Um um, yeah, you know, I never know what, to, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly far along and I'm, I'm in a draft now that I'm doing entirely by typewriter. Uh, I mean, I have it from beginning to end, uh, with, you know, holes in it. I've never, you know, I've, I've mostly, I've written short stories and essays, you know. Um, do you usually work on the, uh, do you usually work on the typewriter? I use a typewriter off and on. Yeah, with everything I write, I, I, there's some point where I'm using a typewriter. I, I, I kind of, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel sometimes like uh, the computer, the whole metaphor has, has uh, changed so much. We get music, we get, you know, you know email, I hate that, you know. Uh, and, but everybody gets sucked into it. So it's, it's kind of a, a corrupted space a little bit for me. Uh, and then I also, you know, word, word, I don't know, you get into that logic left to right. And, uh, and I also think you end up just, sometimes you think you're writing and you're just doing word processing tricks. You know, oh, I'll make this italics, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, I don't know. I'll change the font. Um, uh, it, but with the typewriter, you just, you got to roll it. And I use manuals, old manuals. You, you get, you got to roll a sheet in and, and, and if you, you mess up, you got to rewrite. And so I end up writing, uh, um, uh, kind of old school i mean I, I have to write sentences you know uh, yeah you so. in your in your uh the second story in the dead fish museum drummond and son mm-hmm. it's it's obvious you have a, a, a knowledge of the manual typewriter and it's yeah. uh yeah it, and your a love for it actually yeah that comes yeah I've got, I've, I've got tons of them i mean i i you know I, i've given them away to students 
No one wants. I, I'm not a collector, so it, and, and there's this sort of market, this weird market for uh, you know valuable old typewriters. But I don't. I'm, I I use typewriters from like say you know the 50s and 60s, yes. really solid machines yes. that you can use every day. But they're not uh, collector's items, so I, I get them for nothing. Or I have one you know that I'm using now that I got for two a dollar ninety nine. It's still got the tag uh, on it. Uh, At like a garage sale or Value Village or something, right? You know, in a little wreck town called Republic Washington. Yeah, they were selling it for $1.90. I don't know how they decided on that price, you know. Uh, That's great. Like well, two fifty? Nah, you know, it's like I don't know if we'll get any buyers there. It's like, it's a lost leader, dollar ninety nine. You know what? We could probably finish out the program talking about typewriters. That's how deep my love for them is. But, um, but wait, will you read us? Will you read us? Um, you've got an essay, right? Mm-hmm. That you'd want. Yeah, I'll I'll read a, uh, this is uh, from an essay in Orphans, and it's called Documents. It originally appeared in the uh, New Yorker. And uh, uh, I'm just going to read a little section that's got, um, uh, the first part is um, me writing, and then uh, it has a letter from uh, my younger brother in it. And I I like to read this uh, in part uh, mostly because I really like the letter from my (laughs) younger brother. And it's very simple. So anyway, I'll read that. Uh, Not long ago, I was in Seattle, sitting in a cafe downtown. It was raining. I'd been there for some time before I realized that someone was staring at me through the window. I turned around and saw worn tennis shoes and dirty gray sweats. The man outside the window was my brother, Mike. My father had three sons. I'm the eldest. Danny, the youngest, killed himself. In addition to the tennis shoes and sweats, Mike was wearing a white T-shirt that hung to his knees and a black leather jacket he'd bought with VA money at a thrift store. His thinning hair was soaked, and his face had the pallor of warm cheese. In a plastic sack, he carried a carton of cigarettes he'd bought at the Navy PX. He's schizophrenic, and on some level, I'm always aware that he's a stranger. I went outside, and we talked, and in talking, we were brothers again. He did not look good. He was shivering. He was several miles away from his halfway house, but when I offered to give him a ride, he said quite happily that he preferred to walk. He started up the hill, limping a little from a pelvic injury he received years ago when he tried to kill himself by jumping off the Aurora Bridge in Seattle. Very soon he was gone. Only a few years ago, Mike had been doing much better, and he wrote letters regularly, often two or three a month. Here is one. Dear Char, and this is the letter, Mike here, who is there? I'm, as fi- I'm fine as a blade of grass. How about you? As I was leaving church the other day, there was an opportunity to be part of a poor person's Kris Kringle. I, deci- I decided to buy an AIDS patient some high-quality gloves. The situation reminded me of Danny. I don't know why. The gift will be given to him, although I believe I will never actually see the recipient. I will give him a card that says, To a friend I don't know. I don't think of Danny a lot. I don't feel pain about his death a lot either. Jesus has stepped into his boots and has replaced him. It caused me to heal and be born again. It is really quite beautiful. My heart is still with that kid like you cannot believe, or I suppose you could. Love can play a trick on you. It can cause you pain like you were suffering in hell, but it is still love and still beautiful like heaven, and the heaven and the hell of it are woven into one fabric, which is love. It's a mind-blower to think like that, but that is what Danny has done to me. Call her right, please. I don't own a cat or dog, but I do the same by looking at squirrels and crows. I plan to buy some peanuts to feed the squirrels and bread for the birds. It is so much cheaper, and I enjoy it the same as having my own animal. When I pray, I can see my life flash before my eyes. It is very beautiful. My My life flashes before my eyes about 20 times a year. Other stuff like that happens to me also. I've been through so much since becoming mentally ill. Most of it, believe it or not, was good. Because of that, I became sort of an indestructible man. Love, Mike. Anyway, that's that's the snippet. Oh, thank you so much for reading. Yeah, that. kind of you know, a little dark for uh, no, that no. afternoon. But anyway, no, it's that's that. It's be- it's beautiful. <laughs> Actually. Yeah, yeah, you know, and he, uh, there was a stretch there where he uh, cranked out those letters, you know. Uh, real letters. Uh, so you receive them in the post, right? Like yes. The, like the real, 
and 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 you know I come from a large family, and what he would do uh, was he would write uh, the letter, and it would be the salutation would be dear, and then he'd draw a line under it after dear, and then he would write his letter and Xerox <laughs> copies for everybody, right. and then he would write each of our names in it, and he would send these out. And I've got like just you know, uh, you know, uh, like uh, a stack of them, you know, big, you know. I get like two, two a week, you know. Uh, and they're like poems too. They are. They're like poems. They're like prayers, you know. Uh, uh, and, and in that strange overlap, you know, where the where where you know poetry and prayer probably uh, uh, have similar impulses, um, you know. Uh, and it seems only possible, doesn't it? Like that with. Um I mean that's wonderful that he did the that he xeroxed them. So it's like like the the Christmas letter, like the early, right the early mm-hmm. like what people do. Mm-hmm. But but that he um but that but that the form of the letter um it gave you know because you you don't get that with email. I think you were sort of mentioning that before a little bit your resistance to the computer and what that technology is. Yeah, yeah. No, you don't. You don't get it. And you know, I mean, you know, his handwriting looks a certain way, and all the all the letters were the same length. It was the cer- the certain kind of paper on, uh, you know, with, with uh, you know, it, with the th- the three holes on the side. So when it xeroxed, you'd see the xerox of the hole, <laughs> uh, uh, lined paper, and only on the front side. That was it. And so, so it was almost like you know working within a, a somewhat strict poetic form. Exactly. Too. Uh, I mean, he held to that. It wasn't like you know sometimes he'd write like five letters of, of you know you know kind of script, you know uh, a, a lunatic nonsense. Uh, it was always it was it was you know uh, it had a, a kind of poetic uh, orientation even as a piece of uh, you know as a visual object. Yeah, it held yeah. its shape, right? Like yeah. maybe a, a, like a prose poem or so, right? Yeah. And keep a yeah. square. Yeah. Far more disciplined than I have. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Is, uh, but such uh, such writing. Did you so? Did you respond? Did you send him letters back, or how 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 did that work? You know, people, we would all you know kind of write back. Certainly not to every letter, and and you can kind of tell from that you know that letter. It's not. You know, um, you know, even he says like, you know, call or write, please. But you know, I, you know for instance, I was in town. I, I you know, it, it you know, I mean, you send him or you send him to my mother, you know, or, or sisters who live in Seattle. It wasn't like we didn't see him. It wasn't like he was off, you know, in, in some, and we were away, and you know, I miss you and that kind of stuff. We saw him. <laughs> you know, so even though you asked for like you know call it right, you know it's it, it, the letters weren't about that sort of. Uh, That's so uh, unusual, isn't it? Because it's as if he felt like like that distance, right? Like he was communicating to you from afar somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But anyway, something to uh, and I, I've always been very happy that I I, I managed to. Uh, um, you know, write an essay. Uh, uh, you know, that could preserve a, a, a bit of that in, in some sort of form uh, that's a little bit larger than, uh, you know, our small circle. Yeah. Why? Um, so, why do you write essays, Charlie? Um. You know, I, 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 partly I just happened into it. Partly it's, uh, you know, and this is really pedestrian, but it, it was, it was, it was part of, you know, thinking about myself as a, a working writer. Uh, you know, you, you can get paid for writing essays and, and, you know, whereas you write a story, you just don't know what's going to happen, you know, uh, and, you know, uh, but, uh, but then also, you, you know, uh, you know, more seriously, there's just certain things that, um, uh, all, Although I like to write uh, a kind of narrative essay most of the time, a story-like essay, there are certain things that just don't fit uh, in uh, in fictional form. Uh, it gives me a chance to kind of step out, uh, um, try on a different voice, you know, kind of create a little bit of a persona, um, and and explore other areas that just the, you know uh, I wouldn't do in fiction. Uh, That's so interesting because I, I almost think that somebody else might say the exact opposite and say that's why they write fiction. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. is it? So- yeah, you know, I, 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 particularly with short stories. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm working on this novel and, and I'm trying to be a little essayistic in it. I'm, I'm trying to work a little bit uh, of, a, of what I think of a, a, as an essayist voice into the voice of of, of the narrator. Um, uh, it's got a lot of texture, a lot of variability. Uh, but when, when I'm writing short story, it's such it, to me it's so disciplined. Uh, 
um, I, I and while the, the work I, I think is you know maybe recognizably mine, uh, I work so hard to get myself out of it. Uh, and in an essay, I'm I'm kind of in it. Uh, huh. You know, I'm I'm kind of involved, uh, and uh, uh, it has a different feel, a different um, uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the risks are different. They feel different. Uh, yeah. They both have risks, but I, I, I like the exposure, the weird exposure of an essay. Yes, and your mind, definitely, yes. right? And joining yeah. that, 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 that line, that the minds that have worked on the page from before, that, right. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved essays. I mean, I, you know, partly, you know, why do people write? Well, because they've loved some writing that came before them, you know. And I, I you know, I, I love, I've always loved essays, you know. Uh, um, and and they, there's so much overlap between uh, uh, a short story and an essay. Uh, it's kind of a natural, you know, place to muck around in. For, <laughs> and, uh, and on that note, we'll take a short break um, and then we'll come back with Charlie D'Ambrosio. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. Uh, today, Charlie D'Ambrosio is with us. Um, so, Charlie, um, so you were saying something very interesting, and then I, and then I went to the break. <laughs> um, <laughs> you said you were talking about, like, the overlap with stories and essays. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, most obviously, they're, you know, they're they're both on the uh, on the shortish side, and uh, um, but the, the essays lend themselves very much to you know uh, narrative and to to you know working with uh, character, and uh, um, uh, they're both malleable in a certain way. Sure, you know, uh, in fact, for my class last night uh, in nonfiction, I brought in three stories because I want them to look at writing scenes. And I thought, well, and, yes. but, and, and I asked them, uh, you know, could these be essays? And, and in fact, you know, uh, each, each of the pieces, you know, the class felt uh, could easily have been essays. Which were the, uh, what were the stories, Charlie? Um, one was uh, Stephanie Vaughn's uh, great, great uh, story, uh, Abel Baker, Charlie Dog. Uh, people who like short stories likely have encountered it or should. I, I've read that story so many times. I was rereading it for class. It was breaking my heart all over again. It's just devastating. Mm. And then Leonard Michaels' uh, Murderers, uh, and uh, a story by uh, uh, a friend of mine, Chris Offit, called Barred Owl. Um, All first person, you know, all very different, taking place in different parts of the country and and different kinds of people narrating them. But all of them could have been accounts uh, that would easily have been an essay, uh, more or less, uh, you know. uh, Right, right. Yeah. You know, know, it's interesting that you said that that, the one that... um, was it Abel Baker, Charlie Dog? That that's yeah. how it bre- breaks your heart. When I was reading, uh, I was rereading your story, the Drummond and Son. Um, that other that day, that actually broke my heart again. Like that last scene on the bus with the father and the son. Um, yeah. That. Oh, 
Well, I'm good. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad your heart was broken. I know I'm piecing it back <laughs> together slowly. Um, and, and then in, in, in the story, The High Divide, you say like you have this great scene with the sister Cecilia, I think the, the nun and Ignatius, the young boy that's uh-huh. in, in, in the home, in their care there. Um, and, and, and she asks him, what's the opposite of love? Right. And, and then. Right. He, and he says, and then she says, uh, oh, no, despair. Well, that's nice here, so that works for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, man, I, did, I debated, man, it's funny, God, you, you, uh, man, I, I thought about that long and hard. What do you mean? Uh, well, I, I was wondering if, you, you, you know, I mean, I grew up Catholic, I knew, I knew nuns, you know, uh, that is, you know, you know, Catholic understanding, and I think it's a good one. Uh, uh, you know, the opposite of love is despair, and it's really the despair of ever being in, uh, you know, God's grace or that light. And, and you can drop God from the equation, but that that horrid absence of of, of uh, you know possibility uh, is, is is really the opposite, opposite of love. Hate is 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 not it. Um, uh, it's just maybe an ingredient of that, but I, I wondered if that would be just if, if feel too heavy. The kid's a twelve-year-old, you know, thirteen-year-old uh, narrator. Uh, is it really, you know, is it really believable to kind of a contemporary mind that this conversation, which is, you know, uh, but but he's encountered the narrator's you know, theological would uh, fly, uh, and uh, you know. You have a question, and you have to write it. You have to you have to come up with a writing answer, and I, I, you know. Uh, but I, but I I worked it a lot uh, to to make it seem believable. Uh, and when you say you worked uh, it a lot, at least you believe it. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I believe it, Charlie. When you say yeah. you worked it a lot, does that mean you're going back in? Because it seems like you've built in the despair where you can see why Ignatius, even so young, would feel would have a knowledge of what that might even mean. Yeah, you know, he, I, I think by the end of the story, I mean, you know, in the way she understands something that's like a human truth, and she tells him that early in the story. But by the end of the story, when they're all up there on that mountaintop, I think he begins to understand despair. They're in the dark. You know, they're calling out and, and only hearing these kind of empty echoes kind of, uh, you know, kind of roll back at them. Uh, I think he understands exactly what she was saying, mm-hmm. uh, that that is the opposite of love. You know, that is, at that moment, they are in a world that has been drained of love. Uh, so, but you don't get it while they're having the conversation, and that's part of the tonal control when you're writing. You have to be, you know, I mean, you have to be able to control that. It's important that he doesn't get it then. And you have to trust that the reader is intelligent, picking up those things, and, and um, you know. Uh, yes. You know, but that he will realize something. Or maybe, I don't even know if he realizes it, he just comes to that place you know, uh, of, of despair. They all do. Yes. You bring us there. <laughs> you bring, yeah. you do. Yeah. It's um, amazing. I, want, I wonder, <laughs> you do know. Well, I, well, this reader anyway, um, I don't know. What, so what do you, how do you feel about that? Like the idea of then like the hope, because like that, I think that's interesting because the, your work is really, it's, it's shot through with this. Um, uh, even th- the, like looking at the essay degrees of gray, where you're talking about Hugo's poem, where at the end there's a girl with red hair and that's supposed to save, um, there's supposed to be something hopeful there. And you're saying that's not a false ending. Like what, because your, your, your stories, like they're, they're they're moving still at the end there's nothing that's resolved and 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 there and there could be a strong case made for the, some lack of hope in there um mm-hmm. right yeah you know who knows it's 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 makeup you know the hugo poem i mean maybe i can answer it in light of the hugo poem the reason it's not a false ending is because the, the 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 despair the dis, you know the descent into a kind of dark understanding is real mm-hmm. and 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 because that that is real uh the hope that's earned you know the path back out uh is is it may be small but it but it's but it's true um as opposed to um 
you know, I'll take a classic example, like Dickens, like in Bleak House, which is like a hugely dark book. And he just kind of breaks the spine of the book in, in the end. And, and everything turns out kind of like, you know, great. Uh, that's different. And it, it, it's, it, as great as that book is, it's, it's like this kind of weird moment um, uh, of uh, the author kind of breaking with some, something that his writing knows more than he does, in a way, uh, I right. guess. Right. It's almost... Anyway, uh, I, I feel like, uh, you know, in, in uh, um, I, don't, I don't know, in, in, in stories, if, 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 if the darkness is real uh, um, and, and, you can, and you can find a hope that's kind of con- continuous with that you know, kind of dark note, uh, uh, I, I, it's real. It, it remains true. And I don't know. Enough, I, I, now, yes. I'm, I'm, now I'm feeling totally inarticulate. No, but no. It, it's sort of like w- why you can find comedy inside darkness and pain, right? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, because and people say, well, how, you know, why? Why is that? And I think you know, although my stories aren't all comic, there's like a lot of them have like funny notes in them. It's because you know, because funny stuff comes from pain. It's not like. The, the 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 funny is lacquered on right. as a as an antidote. It, it, it's that's where it comes from, and hope comes out of that despair. It's it's continuous with it. It's 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 not a different thing. Uh, it's not like you ha- It's one option or the other. No, it's it's part of despair. Yes. Um, yes. And, and people who don't hope don't despair. That would be the other answer. Like people who who don't doubt maybe don't have faith. I see. You know? Yes. That's that's very articulate. That's really well put. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now well, you're taking us after to philo- stammering for five minutes. So I had to come up with something. <laughs> it's philosophy <laughs> corner with Charlie D'Ambrosio. No, that was great. That was that was great. Um, so a, a few a few words about your novel because that's your because we, we're actually we're coming to the end of our time, Charlie. So ah. is there is there any like when when can we when can we look for that? Because we've got people can the Dead Fish Museum and then we've got orphans and coming out. When would that be out? Um, you mean the novel or? Oh, the novel and also because you said they they're going to sort of um, piggyback orphans release on onto that as well, right? On vintage, yeah. Um, well, I have not turned in the novel to anybody, and I'm hoping it, it's uh, this fall, winter, into by spring for sure that I'll be done, and then you know. I, I, I'll be done, and 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 I, you know, who knows what you know they'll say, but uh, <laughs> hopefully they'll say, uh, you know, good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you know, they something. would. <laughs> what? But then I don't know. Then it, then it gets into the machinery of uh, publishing, which I, I don't know how that. Uh, you know. That's another mystery, but, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite separate it is. from. It is. Which I have the luck of being like you know far enough away from New York that I I, I don't pay any attention to it. Uh, so that's that's so. a that's a good thing about Portland having a world out there. Yeah, yeah, it is a good thing about you know Portland's nice that way. Uh, you know the downside is that you know we're not paying attention <laughs> to anything else. You know we're so smug and self-satisfied. Uh, <laughs> Well, I hope no one's listening in Portland today. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm totally pulling <laughs> now, your leg. You know, you know, Portland people in Portland talk about the nature of Portland all the time, and I, I, I don't think that you know. I mean, it's a conversation that I've had, you know, with plenty of people, and people who live here feel that way, and they wonder if, like, you know, why is it, and is it a good thing, and you know, which in, in turn becomes its own kind of smug conversation. It's hard to get out of. You know. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but, you, know, kind, you kind of anyway. want to make, yeah, you want to make sure you're, you're, you're part of some, yeah, that it's bigger somehow, right? Not, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Poland's a beautiful place. It, it works, you know, uh, but sometimes it, it, it's, it feels like a bobble. It works so well, but it works because it's a system unto itself. It's not really, uh, as vitally connected, uh, 
through its problems to the problems other people have and and you know uh, um, god that sounds like the problem things. of the writer too and the indiv- you know what can can we have another conversation sometime charlie because you know I, i've loved talking sure. with you <laughs> and but we're at the end of we're we're at the end of our time now um oh, okay thank you <laughs> thank you so much um and uh, thank you. It was, it was uh, man. An hour goes. It it, it uh, was. It wasn't too bad. <laughs> well, stay, Charlie. Yeah. Stay on the line for a moment, please. Okay. And um. And I'll say a goodbye in a moment. Okay. And thank you. Thank you for listening, Ann Arbor. Um. Thanks to those streaming. Uh. Charles D'Ambrosio will be here in Ann Arbor, and he'll be reading at Rackham, the amphitheater, on Thursday, October eleventh. Um. Uh. Also, Dan Gerber, poet Dan Gerber, will be reading tomorrow, Thursday, September 27th at 7 p.m. at Shaman Drum. Uh, and we'll have Dan later on the program as well. Um, thanks very much for listening. Until next time. Subject. Could we change the subject now? I was knocking on your ears, don't be you we were always out Looking towards the future, we were begging for the past Well, we know we had the good things, but those never seemed to last Oh, please just last Everyone's unhappy Everyone's ashamed Well, we all just got caught looking at somebody else's page Well, nothing ever went quite exactly as we planned Our ideas held no water, but we used them like a dam The Daily Sports Report. There to pick it up. Now here to Geis. Geis makes a move. Shoots and scores. Milan Geis with a sick move in the slot and beats Jordan Sigalette. I don't know how many moves he pulled off there, but Milan Geis scores. And we are tied at three goals apiece. Welcome to the Daily Sports Report. I'm Mike Govier, along with Amy Amanovich and John Zaccardelli. We got Rushi running the board, and we got a big show for you today. We're going to get to all the national headlines coming up, but let's open it up with Michigan sports. Amy, what's up? Um, the only uh, Michigan sports we've got right now is uh, hockey, preseason. Uh, so uh, yesterday they 